Happy New Year! Just had to get that in before it was February. This evening, we visit an English rose clashing with an American beefcake down south in the U.S. of A. At least one of us is shocked to find out that Michael Winner is unfairly maligned as a filmmaker, and in honor of somebody who will be dearly, dearly missed from the film world, we look at the space romp that flies in the face of a titular rule. Welcome to They Don't Make Them Like They Used To. Yes, uh, hello, I am Tosin, and over the next year, I shall be your host as we drive, dive through the treasure trove that is movies made before 1980. With me in the studio is Sharon. Hello. Hello, Sharon, and soon joining us shall be Sean. You are listening to They Don't Make Them Like They Used To on Sunshine Radio at St. Mary's Hospital on the Isle of Wight. Whew. And as always, we are joined today by... Uh, a patient who uh, who I interviewed earlier today, and today we shall be joined about Jackie, and she'll be telling us about the first time she ever went to the cinema. Now, Sharon, it's been an, an eventful five weeks since we were last on air. Yes. Yeah, I mean, Star Wars The Force Awakens has been released and came out and it continues to rule the world. Yeah, it's been a phenomenon. Yeah, how many times have you seen it? I've only seen it the once. You've only seen it the once, but... I do plan to see it again, but part of me feels I ought to watch the original trilogy again. <laughs> because there's some characters, I know our old friend, I thought, I can't remember who you are. <laughs> so I, I want to know who he is. <laughs> Without looking it up on Google to think, oh, what character did you play? Oh, that's who you are. I think now I'd like to see you in action. <laughs> oh, no, that's, that's good, because it's, it's actually... Well, that's actually quite nice because it's quite a message because it's a link between what we talk about on this show. Like we talk about old movies, maybe before 1980, and obviously you have Star Wars. And one of the themes we keep coming back to is how well, we think, oh, they don't do that anymore. And then you have Star Wars, The Force Awakens, which is very much, it kind of sort of like almost bottles that thing yes, that the first that one feeling. had. Yeah. yeah, it does. It takes you straight back to the original trilogy because be as my homework, I hadn't actually watched the new trilogy, mm-hmm. the the episodes one, two, and three, and I did watch those before Christmas. Just oh, so yeah? I thought, at least I've watched all six of the first six episodes, Yeah, even if they're not in the right order, but I have seen all six. Mm-hmm. And then I watched the new film, and then I thought, oh, I really need to go and see the first three. <laughs> 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 episodes um, yeah, four, five, and six, I think. I need to see those again. Oh, yeah. Because, I, yeah, I... Yeah, I yeah, I think there are direct links. Obviously, the characters, you've got the same characters appear. Yeah. I won't tell you, the, the people listening who they are because you may haven't seen it yet. Yeah. But you do revisit a lot of old faces. And yeah. there's a few people you think, oh, I ought to know who you are, but I can't quite remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they do do a lot of referencing of the, of definitely yeah. of the first film. Yeah, so I would say, yeah, you need to be in touch with that, really, to, uh, to know where you are. Yeah. But I did like the fact that, yeah, that it did seem to be part of a series rather than in isolation that works as its own film. But I 
also like that feeling of realism again. I know we talk about science fiction, and so the words realism and science fiction don't always sit side by side. But I like the fact that where I'd only just seen the um, episodes one, two, and three, mm-hmm. you're very conscious that it is CGI-based. What you're looking at is not there. Okay. That the landscapes aren't real landscapes, that those yeah. lakes that they're rolling about, you think, no, I don't think that those are real lakes. I, I, f- I think we might have to keep this for the final uh, half yes, hour of the show. Yes, because we're going into our... Yeah, into the final half hour of the show where we talk about films that are in the cinema at the moment. We might have to keep that for then. Yeah, we'll save that for later. keep your powder dry on that. I will. But in the, in the five weeks, which since we've been on air, which is, it, when we say that way, it seems a bit lazy that we haven't made a show for five weeks. But um, things happen. Yeah, things happen. Life, blah, life blah, blah, jobs. People paying me for stuff that I yeah. And, and never mind. <laughs> and uh, but we we lost some filmically important people in David Bowie and Alan Rickman. Yes. Yeah. Close, uh, so close together. Yeah, that's yeah, what's shocking, really. So isn't close. It? it was like two days apart. They were both the same age. It was just like oh man. Yeah, this horrible symmetry, wasn't it? Same age, died of the same awful illness, and yeah, left a big impact on people who'd never met them, which is bizarre, isn't it? You feel connected to people you've never met. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I which is the magic of film, isn't it? I suppose you. You feel like you know someone through the the characters they've played. Yeah, and even if you know, like for instance, for instance, someone like Alan Rickman, his first film role was as the bad guy in Die Hard, who regularly appears on lists of the best bad guy ever. Yes, because of just how nefarious and despicable Hans he Gruber. is. Hans yeah. Gruber. You know that Alan Rickman isn't like that, but still, it's like you you get you have this feeling that if you ever met. Um, Alan Rickman you just want to shake his hand and say thank you so much for bringing that character yeah, to life thank you for that film <laughs> thank, yeah. thank you for that thank you for <coughs> excuse me yeah I, I think you, you really would want to do that and I think um, David Bowie he did he did quite a few things I mean I think there's Labyrinth which is just yeah it wasn't really mentioned but that was the film I immediately thought of with David Bowie because I loved Labyrinth as a teenage girl when it first came out yeah. I loved it I, I mean when I think of David Bowie I do think of The Man Who Fell to Earth that's yes. the first thing that comes to my head oh, my I have head. seen that film yeah strange yeah. film yeah <laughs> Yeah, it, it's, it's the, and that's why he was such a good fit. Yes, because he didn't quite. <laughs> yes, he was. There's was something slightly other about him, wasn't there? Yeah, there was definitely something like that, and it, it just seems like uh, I think about it. I'm thinking, yeah, obviously, who else would you get to play that role? Nobody, yeah. else, nobody else could do that. <coughs> <on him. laughs> uh, <coughs> you okay? Yeah, sorry, I just got dry throat for something there. Okay, and uh, <laughs> is. Uh, it was against it, David Bowie. There's that, and, and there's that Merry oh, Christmas, Labyrinth. Mr. Lawrence, Labyrinth. Yeah, and there's Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence again. Mm-hmm. A strange little film that was very popular at the time. And then it's only when they talked about the films after he died, I suddenly thought, yes, I remember Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. He plays a prisoner of war in the Japanese yeah. prisoner of war. Yeah, and it's, it's extraordinary relationship between him and his captor. I think it's played by Waruchi Yakamoto. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, extraordinary film. Quite it, curious. That, film. That's got that's got Alec Guinness in it as well, hasn't it? I think it does, yeah. Yeah, because I remember uh, I've spoken on the show before about how my love of old movies started with a channel called TNT, which is now Turner Classic Movies. Yes. And they would always show like these sort of little clips about films. And Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence was one of them. And they would, it was always this shot where I think David Bowie's being whipped or something or punished or something in the Japanese BOW yeah. camp. And I remember seeing them and thinking, oh, my word, he must be like the main guy in this film. And then finally watching the film and he doesn't really show up as much because I think it's more about the Alec Guinness character, if yes. I remember correctly. But it's, yeah, he, he, he would definitely made his mark film-wise. Yeah, he chose interesting roles. Again, like his musically, he chose interesting pieces, didn't he, to display his sort of gifts through. Yeah, yeah I think uh, the, fr- the phrase one-off seems to be bandied about a lot in, in relation to him. But honestly, I do think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 anybody else who 
was anything like that would just look like they're trying to be a cheap knockoff of of Bowie. So yeah, he he will be mm, sorely missed. Original, mi- yeah, yeah, he'll be missed. He will be so missed. And also in the last five weeks since we were last on air, January seems to have somehow almost run away from us when it feels like the year has only just started. Yeah. I, I can't believe that it feels like it was, we were just doing New Year's the other day and all of a sudden now it's like... It's heading towards the end. Well, you feel the same. Your, time. Your birthday is in January. My birthday is in February. I always think... When your birthday's out of the way, that's it. The year's, you know, well underway, isn't it? You must feel the same way. It's like, what, my birthday already? <laughs> well, I'm just, uh, because I'm, I'm surprised. I'm like, it's for me, it's like I have my birthday and then all of a sudden it just seems like, oh, that's it. Month's over. Yeah. Uh, all the festivities are over. And now, start, now it's time to start worrying about how to make money. That's it. You've got that life intrudes. I do the same. Uh, we're both self-employed, so we both go, what the hey? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's what January. The, what, 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 oh, rubbish. Tax return. <laughs> I've got to tell the government not to take any tax away because I don't have the money. <laughs> yes, I always think, oh, okay, I got through another year without having to pay tax. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, now, let's actually get on to our business of what films. we're supposed to be doing. So, uh, f- we always start off by picking a film that we say is a bona fide classic, that this is something that we, you need to, like, anybody go watch it because... It's a classic. Everyone agrees, or pretty much everyone agrees. Yeah. And you chose this for us today. Yes. What is your choice? The film I've chosen for this uh, classic, of the first classic of the new year, is A Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Okay, all right. Before you say anything about it, let us listen to the original trailer of the movie cool. and figure out if it can shed some light on what Cat on the Hot Tin Roof is all about. Then jump off the roof, Maggie, jump off it. The Tennessee Williams Pulitzer Prize winning play unfolds with a shocking impact and uncompromising realism that makes its author the most talked about dramatist of our day. Elizabeth Taylor is Maggie the Cat, a girl too hungry for love to care how she goes about getting it. I don't mind making a fool of myself over you. Well, I mind. I feel embarrassed for you. Feel embarrassed? But I can't live on this way. Now, you agreed to accept that condition. I know I did, but I can't, I can't. Paul Newman vividly plays the emotionally tormented football hero. But how in hell on earth do you imagine you're going to have a child by a man who cannot stand you? Burl Ives is a sensation portraying Big Daddy. I'm going to pick me a choice woman, and I'm going to smother her in minks and choke her with diamonds. Judith Anderson plays Big Mama. When a marriage goes on the rocks, the rocks are there, right there. Jack Carson gives vigor and color to the role of Gooper, the older brother. I don't give a damn whether Big Daddy likes me or don't like me. The point is I'd like to see this place run into the ground by a drunken ex-football hero. You shut up about my husband. You shut up. Madeline Sherwood portrays Sister Woman, the role she created in the play. Cat on a Hot Tin Roof is a passionate story of the conflict between people. You and Skipper and millions like you living in a kid's world, playing games, touchdowns, no worries, no responsibilities. An intimate, revealing story of the conflict within people. Maggie! Maggie the cat is alive! I'm alive!
Yes, so cat on a hot tin roof. They don't make ads like that anymore, do they? No, no, they definitely do not do trailers like that anymore. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if they did a trailer like that for one of the films? Can it? Ooh, now I'm trying to think. Ooh, what film would it be as a Star Wars? Witness, witnesses, and Solo flies the Millennium Falcon across the galaxy. Yeah, it's it does sum up that sort of heated claustrophobic atmosphere that the film sort of generates through it I think because it's a as they said they've more or less listed the whole cast the whole speaking cast in yep, that yep, trailer yep. it's quite a, quite a close-knit cast of like five main speakers really yep. and they dominate the whole play and it's I don't I think it's set over like a day or two days or something it's not doesn't drag it out over weeks and weeks and weeks it's quite a, a tight tightly constructed drama it is based on a play so it was constructed for the stage so you have got these set pieces and sometimes it does feel like that but it's based on a play by Tennessee Williams Mm -hmm. and he's obviously well known for his like southern pot boilers they're mainly set in the southern United States so that gives that whole sort of of sweaty (laughs) intense claustrophobic feel before you even start doesn't you yeah. you know what there's going to be uh, everybody's just sort of hot sweaty and bothered and, yeah and that that tempers are running thin and yeah, passions the heat, are running heat high does weird things to people yeah <laughs> that it is gonna that something's gonna blow you yeah. get that feeling and then you've got elizabeth taylor and i think elizabeth taylor became so used to being elizabeth taylor that we forget that she was a quite a skilled actress in yeah, her youth. Yeah, I think it was only when she started getting a bit blousy in her forties that <laughs> you, you she tends to become more the character and, and less the actual defined actress. Yeah, yeah. I think her personal life didn't help in that regard. But this is one of her roles in the nineteen fifties when she, I think, she was at her peak in terms of her dramatic skills. Where and popularity. She, her popularity. She was a stunner. Her her private life hadn't overshadowed her work to the same degree as it did after the whole. Um, I was going to say Richard Burton's whole period, that sort of period. <laughs> yeah. That sort of dominated. From that point on, she it was always like, what's she doing in her private life rather than what's she doing on the screen? Yep. So she's with 1958. It's yeah, Taylor at her peak. And with Paul Newman, again, he was emerging as one of these uh, matinee idols who could act. Because yeah. you had a lot of them who were no, who were probably started off as their, for their looks and had did their sort of... They knew how to stand in the right place and smolder the camera and yeah, you could get a close-up the of their face. Yeah. And, just, and you knew that a whole bunch of women would go into the cinema just to watch that. Oh, just and, to watch And them. some men. Yeah, and, and <laughs> his, you know, his lovely blue eyes and his handsome face and all this. Yeah. And so he was... And then you think, actually, he did act in yeah, this as well. Yeah. But it was before... I think he actually did continue to act, but I think men don't have the same pressure as women to be... You know, well, yeah, more uh, than yeah, to be able to be sort of like eye candy and just sort of stand there, and you've got to be beautiful and thin, darling. Yes, and if you're not, then you're if you're not, you're out of there. Yeah, then you're gone. Yeah, speaking about Elizabeth Taylor and her private life, that the weird, I was looking up about this film because I haven't actually seen the film, but it's like, but oh, I haven't seen the film, I haven't read the play, I haven't seen the play, and it was I thought I thought it was funny how earlier you referred to the film as the play. Yes, <laughs> well, I've seen, I've done the two out of three. I've seen the play. And I've watched the film. Right. I haven't read it. So okay. I think that might temper my... Because <laughs> the last time I saw it was actually on stage. All right. And I saw the a reworking of it when they did it at the West End with Adrian Lester and James Earl Jones. Oh, James Earl Jones as Big Daddy. As yeah. Big Daddy. Yeah, so yeah. I went and saw that production I wish of I it. I missed that one. It was, it was corking. I did it as my birthday treat. It was my uh, 40th birthday and I went to see 
Cat on a Hot Tin Roof with Adrian Lester. Yeah. So yeah, but speaking about the film, but this is about the film, so we yeah, won't yeah, we won't digress back. Speaking about know. the well, I think they're they're intricately linked. But yeah. Elizabeth Taylor apparently her husband at the time, Michael Todd, was killed in a plane crash on yes. the same day as the film as the filming began for this film. Oh my goodness! So she's going to be in a fragile state anyway. Yeah, isn't but she? she she decided to go ahead with the to go ahead with the filming anyway. So it's it's kind of like it's it's. She's channeling all that emotion. Yeah, very possibly. So tell us, okay, let's go. It is all about emotion. So it's set of this. It's a husband and wife, Maggie the cat and Brick, who is a. He's become a sort of sozzled ex-football star, and in America, I don't. It's not the same as football stars here. They they like rise and peak quite early, from what I gather. They like they're like recruited out of high school, and then they become enormously famous, and then their careers are over by the time they're thirty. Well, yeah, I think the average, the even nowadays in the NFL, the American football, uh, American football league, the average um, career is about three years. Yeah, so you you bright, bright, you burn brightly, but very short time. Yeah, and he was someone who was fated and adored as a football star, and then when that career ended, I think he hurt his knee or something. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he dissolves into drink, and you think, oh, that's why he's the way he is because of his career's over. And then as this weekend unfolds, they all go gather at the family's sort of big plantation home to for, the, for Big Daddy's birthday. It's his big birthday celebration, so the whole family get there. It's him and Maggie and his brother and his wife, his brother's wife, and all their children. They've got about six children, and they all gather, and you can tell that they all can't stand each other, but they're forced together in these really claustrophobic circumstances. And as these sort of the birthday celebrations unfold, the their veneers begin to fall away, and mm. you begin to see the real anger beneath the real, all the the these strong emotions that have been like teeming under the surface that they've been hiding from the world, and that when they're in this sort of tight closed environment with each other, all these things fall away, and so they begin to just be honest with each other for the first time in years. They begin to be really honest with each other, and all sort of part of the heart of it is this unhappy marriage between Maggie and Brick. And also the unhappy marriage between Big Daddy and his wife. You get the feeling that he married her because he needed a woman. <laughs> and he wanted to have his children and he wanted her. But he couldn't really stand her. So that, that just, he just had to do that to carry on with his, uh, with yeah. his legacy. Kind so of part of you feels that, yeah, that there's unhappy marriage. And so he's quite contemptuous of his wife and he's a bit dismissive of her. Yeah. And you think that people witness that. And then his son married a convenient woman and they had all these children. But again, you don't really feel there's much love in that relationship. And then you've got Brick and Maggie Hugh. They had like this really hot, fiery relationship where it was all about the physical passion and the their desire for each other and then you, something happened to make to affect that relationship and you find out that that something was his best friend yeah. now it's implied in the in the film but i believe it's more explicit in the play that they were un, that she was unfaithful with his best friend she was trying to get his attention yeah but really skipper who is his best friend didn't really love maggie he was actually in love with brick yeah and then there's this whole sort of suppressed homosexuality that never ever is mentioned in the film, but it's underneath the surface that, it, but Brick couldn't handle the fact that his best friend loved him and killed himself, not over what happened with Maggie, but over what happened that he'd rejected him rather than the relationship they'd had with his wife. Mm. And it was all this going on under the surface that he's lost his best friend, who he didn't realise loved him all these years, and then his wife might have been unfaithful with his best friend as an act of vengeance or desperation or whatever. And then all the all these walls that they've been building up over the years all just crumble down around yeah. them. Yeah. What's it? Yeah. Well, okay. Oh. We just had Sean walk in. Hello. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Sorry about that. Cat on a hot Got tin bit, roof, Sean. Yeah. Oh, cat on a hot tin roof. Burlives. Yeah. Burlives. Big one daddy. Of my big daddy. Yeah. Big daddy. Uh, Burlives. Great. 
great actor. Yes, it's all those that. teeming emotions, isn't yeah. it? It's all so, teeming so emotions. So it, it sounds like a, essentially it's one of these sort of chamber pieces where everything pretty much happens in one location or ish yes it's based yes if you imagine it as a film set in the film there's only like four acts mm-hmm. in the play sorry in the play it's four acts and so there's very very much mirrored in the film you get all these intense scenes happen in one room yeah not uh, the same room but it does you are it is like these head-to-heads a lot of the time it's, uh, fun, it's funny in that I got, i'm sorry to interject here but i i don't think for me you know like liz yeah am i through yeah no, yeah okay. liz liz it's normally really beautiful in a lot of films, but I don't, I don't know, I couldn't, I couldn't relate to her in this one. I didn't well, we were just was... saying about this, that this was, we didn't, I didn't realise this, but Tozin was just saying that in 1958, her husband had just died, Mike Todd, in a car, oh, in a wow. plane accident. Yeah, he, and di- they filmed, he died on the day, and the day filming started. And so she was filming right. this in those weeks after his death. All right, okay. And he was reported as being the love of her life, isn't he? Most people say that if he'd lived, then she probably would have stayed married to him for the rest of her life. But that could be, you know, what yeah, everyone says about yeah. these when someone dies tragically young, don't they? yeah. yeah. They always are the love of their life. And yeah. <laughs> they would have been a different woman if they'd stayed with <laughs> What do you think of Paul Newman? Do you like Paul Newman? I do. I think he, I was saying earlier, again earlier, he went from being just a matinee idol to someone who could really act in this film. I yeah. think he sort of comes into yeah, his own. Yeah, he comes own. to his own, doesn't he, really? Well, and he's up head to head with Pearl Ives. And, you know, they're both heavy hitters, but in completely different ways. But they both now those parts completely. Yeah, but the thing is that Pearl Ives, because he did the, sh- he did the, the role on Broadway, so on stage, he 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 played Big Daddy. He was actually the original person who played Big Daddy. Yeah. And so it seems like he just lives. He's like it's like a suit. Like he's just been in almost like a skin for him to be Big Daddy. Yeah. Was Big Mummy in the play as well? Big Mummy, yeah. Yeah, she was. I think they were both, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, they were. They yeah. they were both the people who started the the roles up on stage. Yeah. Yes, it was. This, and the actress who plays um is it Sister Woman? Sister Woman Sister was played by the woman who who'd originally done the role on stage as well. I can't remember her name. So, so it seems like it's one of these things. Somebody once said something about um, about uh, another Elizabeth Taylor movie, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. He says that he loves the film because it's a film in which nothing happens, but everything happens. Yes. And I think it's it's this seems to be a bit that kind of thing. Like, you know, that's sort of almost like a chamber piece where it's really just people talking about stuff or not talking about stuff or talking about other stuff when they're actually talking about but you're just getting all these things coming out of the woodwork yeah it's all exposition i mean you don't nothing is not said you everything is through the spoken word in this in this production so it is all about what people say to each other yeah whereas a lot of films it's about they you get these looks and you think I know what you mean exactly just by that one look and this they don't go with the looks they go they spill it all out (laughs) it's all out there by the end of the play there's nothing left unsaid again I keep saying play but again at the end of the the film there's nothing left unsaid and sometimes there's a sort of happy ending at the end but you feel it's slightly forced Mm -hmm. but, but it's that sort of happy ending that you get after a storm where the air is clearer everyone seems lighter everyone feels better but you think, okay, another storm might build again in the lives of these people. But at yeah. the end of this bit, the storm has broken. Yeah, but there was a bit of, in the film, there was your classic Hollywood tinkering. Because the original yes. the original story, as you said, like uh, the, the whole homosexuality thing between um, Brick and Skipper was is a lot more explicit in the in the play. Yeah. They toned that down in the film because it was Hollywood and they had a code. And they changed things. Like, even the ending, I think the ending is kind of the same but as to how brick and and maggie are together i think it's a lot more 
Tennessee Williams, which yes. pretty much downbeat in the play than yeah. it is in the film. In, in the, the film, film, they the just film, like they skip like off and yeah, add some just, Hollywood Hollywood yeah. stardust and go, yeah, everything will be fine. Everything's fine. They're just gonna they're gonna sleep, sleep together again. That's gonna make everything better because <laughs> the whole thing about their relationship is fragmented because it was so sexual when they first get together. You get this again; it's implied. Yeah. And because he is refusing to sort of sleep with her, he's refusing to touch her, and she's just you know like a cat basically <laughs> <laughs> jump off the roof then she's yeah the, the whole thing is like no okay um, you know okay we will have a baby after all you get the feeling that the filmmakers are saying okay they, if they're gonna have sex again they're gonna be happy they're gonna be fine it's gonna yeah. solve their problems whereas in the play it, it's it seems it's a lot more ambiguous it's more ambiguous it's, it's yeah. a lot more ambiguous because she pretty much says we will have a baby or she says like i will make my promise that i'm pregnant true but she yeah. doesn't say how she's going to do that no <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's more ambiguous more it's, ambiguous in the play yeah uh, but I think okay so this I think in the 50s in Hollywood they had a bit of the like you know how nowadays everybody's looking for the next trilogy of books that they're going to adapt yes yeah because that's what Hollywood's looking for and it seems like at this time there was a lot of they were looking a lot more to Broadway and looking yeah, a lot so more to plays, to plays to adapt them into movies. Because this was a whole like streetcar named Desire thing, and yeah. all the musicals would have been successful Broadway on stage. Musicals, yeah, yeah. So and yeah, it was a time when the play was the king. And and there's there's a huge list of people who were considered for the roles of Brick okay. and and Maggie. Hit me with them. Okay, cool. So we have Montgomery Cliff. Okay, again, now that modern matinee idol who could act. Yeah, he w- it, it was offered to him, he turned it down. I was going to I think he might have been a little bit too... bit close weak. to home, do you think? Well, yeah, and close to home, maybe. Yeah, yeah it's a good call. Okay, James Dean was considered to play Brick, but he died before I production began. I he died began. before 1958, didn't yeah. he? So. Marilyn Monroe was actually chasing after the role of Maggie the Cat. Okay, I think, would have been, I think she would have made it more of a light role, I think, more mm. comedy. Yeah, well, the thing is, like, Elizabeth Taylor was actually chasing after it as well. She she, she saw campaign to get the role. Robert Mitchum turned down the role of Brick. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think he would, yeah, I don't <laughs> know I how think, he would have handled I think he. I think he would totally have done the whole suzzled alcoholic thing. Yeah. He, he, would, he would have nailed that. But that but. sensitivity of, you know, his anguish over his best friend, would he uh, do I, that I, as I, well? I reckon, I I reckon uh, Mitchum could have done it. Now, check this one out. Elvis Presley turned down the role of Brick. Gosh, that would be <laughs> Can you imagine him and Alvis and Marilyn Monroe? Can't hot to move. That would have been a comedy, different wouldn't film, it? wouldn't it? Yeah. He would have sung something and she would have wiggled. It's like, well, okay. Oh, no, Elvis could actually act. He could, in uh, his early yeah, films, yeah. given that, yeah, give him his due, in his yeah, early films. Elvis he could actually could. act, as, as could Marilyn Monroe, but obviously they had other things that sort of like took over. People want Elvis and they want Marilyn, don't they? They don't care about the character. It's about yeah, exactly. You, want, you get what you want. Yeah, and um, both Lana Turner and Grace Kelly were considered for the role of Maggie the Cat. Mm. Oh, I think Grace Kelly would, is too cool. Yeah, she was <laughs> cool blonde. She yeah. was a Hitchcock blonde. She wasn't a Tennessee William Southern Belle, was she? Tennessee Williams. Uh, well, yeah, uh, yeah. I think he, he Tennessee Williams just seemed to specialize in damaged people. Yeah, it, it, a, a little bit like uh, Truman Capote. Yeah, yes, uh, that. Yes, yeah, because they're not perfectly. Yeah, they're not perfectly rounded people, are they? They've got their <laughs> jagged edges. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. So, anything else to say on Canon Hot Ten Roof before we move on? No, I think we've we've covered it all. But I would say, yeah, it's worth to check it out. If you've got, I always think of it as like a Sunday afternoon film. It's one of those ones where you you want to clear the decks, put your feet up, and let it, let it sort of wash over you, really. Yeah, but I think Paul Newman's performance is is was 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 the right choice. Oh well, yeah, it does. I mean, I mean, we've we over the last couple of shows, we've spoken a bit about a couple of Paul Newman movies, and each time you sort of like you know you go and revise his career and you go. 
dang, this guy was. <laughs> he actually, yeah, he was he, more he, than just Butch Cassidy. Yeah, he, he managed. He managed, even with Butch Cassidy, he managed to subvert what people expected of him. So it's kind of like, okay, what got me in here is my piercing blue eyes, but what you're going to remember me for is my great performance. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, because oh, and he an- delivered. He did deliver. Yeah, another thing about Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. When this was made in the fifties, usually films that were a bit more artistic were in black and white, and then films that were a bit more blockbustery were in color. Yeah, but when when they nailed the uh, when they nailed the the starring roles yeah. of like of Paul Newman and Elizabeth Taylor, the director went, okay, no, forget that. And Richard Brooks he was like, forget that. This is going to be in color because yeah. we're going to make the most of those eyes. That yes, both, both of them. Both yeah. of them. Famous <laughs> for their eyes. Because Streetcar Named Desire, which was around about the similar time, wasn't it? Black and white. Black and white, yeah. Okay, uh, moving on. Now we're going to the hospital. And as we say, every uh, every Friday we go into our pet ward of Alveston and we ask somebody what was the first film that they ever went to the cinema to see. Today in Alveston, we met Jackie. And this is what Jackie had to say about the first film she ever saw at the cinema. Saturday morning cinema with friends at about age six, seven always a cartoon and usually a cowboy the old things like Roy Rogers and they were just great and and quite often the old organ that came up and played for you while you were waiting which was lovely if you were young obviously you didn't get to go in the evenings because in those that day and age children didn't go to the pictures I don't think really with their parents so it was a, it was a good way to spend a Saturday morning if you didn't do ice skating or something like that, which came a bit later, I suppose. Um, and in somewhere in London, in, it, was, it was a safe way to spend a Saturday morning. It's usually the cowboy ones that stuck in the mind, I think. For some reason, this was in Clapham Common, and they just always seemed to be f- to favour the cowboy and Indian ones. But I can remember Roy Rogers and Gene Autry, which ages me a bit but they were always and the horses I love the horses and just the stunts they used to pull it was excellent and it was lovely to watch and then you'd stagger out and have to walk home because you'd spent your bus money on sweets <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah that was a lovely way to spend a Saturday morning while your mum did the cleaning or whatever and that's where you were packed off to on a Saturday then good stuff Right, so once again, Saturday Morning Cinema makes an appearance on the show as people's first experience of the silver screen. So, and that this time, I think we've heard about the, the Westerns, obviously Saturday Morning Westerns. We've heard about Roy Rogers. And, um, yeah, and I, I thought, okay, we need to find out who the heck this guy was. Now, Sean, do you know anything? Like, you are, you are uh, Western. Roy Rogers. Yeah, can Roy you, Rogers. Can you tell us anything okay. about Roy Rogers? singing Rogers? cowboy, I think. Yeah, Wasn't Gene Autry the singing cowboy? Yeah, I'm... I'm Pretty sure that um, Roy Rogers, he did sing. Roy Rogers, he did sing. Yeah, Trigger. Yeah, and I'm sure he had an album out. So Roy Rogers with his, you know, clean cut, checked uh, Western blouse and that. It was it was all really good, clean, wholesome fun. They were all good guys, you know. Um, And as I say, the the horses were sort of stars as well. I was, I think, the Lone Ranger, um, Clayton Moore was was they serialised some of those. And I mean, there's always that quiz question in there that. Um, the Lone Ranger rode silver, but what did Tonto ride? What was the name of Tonto's horse? There's one for you. But, yeah. Tonto yeah. had a horse? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he did. We all remember Hi Ho Silver Away. Hey, yeah. <laughs> I've got to remember what Tonto cried. It's, apart from Kima Savvy. Kima Savvy, yeah. No, that's, yeah, Kima Savvy. Yeah, yeah he did, Tonto he did, said, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's the name of his horse. Because, <laughs> <laughs> of course, they had the recent film with Johnny Depp, didn't they? Didn't so yeah. Was yeah. Thing, mate. That was, it was pretty good. But anyway, back to these Saturday morning things. Yeah, the, the serials. So, Roy Rogers, clean cut, wholesome cowboy, no real violence, just lots of galloping yeah. around and yeah. guns shooting and you know big big scenes and no one really it's one of those ones I was thinking of the A team like loads of shooting but not many people well, no, get, no one ever dies no one ever really gets killed <laughs> they always get wounded in the arm and that's about as far as it goes you know the baddie gets shot in the arm and holds yeah. his arm and his gun's on the floor and he goes okay and then the sheriff comes along and takes him away you know there was no but um, I think that TV when TV became popular I mean, they started on the Saturday morning shows, so yeah, I yeah. guess you know, Champion, the Wonder yeah. Horse, and all these were originally shown. All in these the were, yeah, they? yeah, yeah. So the, you know, they all, all came on TV, but uh, yeah, from when you talk to people that went to these Saturday Saturday films, it was all very much you know everything was was really really good fun and yeah. throwing popcorn and just like <laughs> like a riot. <laughs> But I think they have don't they have Saturday don't they have kids films down do, Cineworld? Cineworld. Yeah, they do, I wonder yeah. what they're like. It'd be interesting actually to. I think you've got to have a child with you to go, so you can't right. go without oh, being no, a child. You with don't. You. don't you? No, you don't. I uh, thought you had to have a little person. There, there was there were some times when I think it's like you, you have to. There was because usually, obviously, when you have like a Pixar movie or anything like that, after a while, it only ever gets shown on a Saturday morning. Yeah. And I went, I wanted to go see that film, so I went to see it on a Saturday morning. It was me and all the Rugrats. Yeah. Just <laughs> really, yeah. Just hanging out with the place. It's not, it's not that raucous. I think, I think um, the kids, I think by the time they get there, they want to focus a lot more on actually what's happening on the screen. But I think the kinds of films have changed a bit. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I think back then, from because obviously I was doing a little bit of research on Roy Rogers. And back then, there was a lot more about the stunts, and it was he would bring the, his horse Trigger in, and the horse would do some tricks and all that kind of stuff. And it was just, it, and it, it seemed like it was essentially a show, um, like, like a, a variety, like a variety show, but on but on screen with like a story to kind of link through what they did and all that. Stuff. But it was, and Roy Rogers, it, it, um, some of what I was looking at was that it, he got his break in a Gene Autry movie and he was and so he was always in all the Gene Autry movies then Gene Autry decided to ask for more money and as the Hollywood studio studio system did another they went get out you <laughs> <laughs> you there with the horse yeah his yeah. name his name is not actually even Roy Rogers it's like something Leon or something like that yeah. and they were like right your name is now Roy Rogers singing cowboy and and for a while he and Gene Autry it was kind of like a rivalry but he became this big star as he said like the, the and his wife Dale Evans appeared in most of his films with him and uh, so it's 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 quite good. It's like a bygone era, but it's it's quite cool. Actually, I was saw a trailer this week for a film that's coming out called Hail Caesar. Oh it's yeah, coming out soon, and it's got it's set during this sort of late forties yeah. era of cinema in Hollywood, and it has they're making this massive film Hail Caesar like Cleopatra, and they've got uh, George Clooney plays this like matinee idol, oh, yeah, and they've the got trailer. a singing cowboy in that with the curly hair. And as soon as I saw him, I thought because and they've got um, Channing Tatum as like a Gene Kelly type guy, this sort of oh, very yeah, muscular yeah, yeah, dancing yeah, yeah, yeah. sailor. Yeah. And then you see this like this singing cowboy, and I thought that's 
Gene Autry. Because you try to spot <laughs> what film stars they're based on. I wonder think, if yeah, Silly that's... World will get it, though. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, but it looked quite funny. There's yeah. Some scenes looked quite funny. Yeah, it yeah. Is. So it's a Coen Brothers. They're going to have to get a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah. Do you yeah. think so? Yeah. So I think I that's what's going to happen. If you remember those early those 40s serial films or those... Yeah, like yeah. the Esther Williams swimming pictures, it's it sort of touches on that nostalgia about when, Hollywood. When, when's the release date? I think it's soon. I think it's in the next couple of months. All yeah. oh, right, okay. Yeah, but, oh, cool. because they've got okay. Scarlett Johansson playing like the yeah, Esther, Williams Esther Williams type, Williams type, type woman. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. So from a movie from 1945 called "Don't Fence Me In," this is Roy Rogers on a sample of that good old Roy Rogers magic that made him so popular. Cap Kelly. Looking mighty pale Was standing by the sheriff's side And when that sheriff said I'm sending you to jail Wildcat raised his head and cried Oh, give me land, lots of land Under starry skies above Don't fence me in Let me ride through the wide open country that I love Don't fence me in Let me be by myself in the evening breeze Listen to the murmur of the Nice crackly little piece there. Yeah, yeah. The, everything of Roy Rogers is crackly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently, apparently, later in his life, he actually lent his name to a chain of restaurants. So in Amer- apparently, an American guy and girl like you know the Roy Rogers chain of restaurants. Yeah, I was like, I was like, well, this is this is a man who knew grab something, hold on to it, and yeah. ride it. I've got a book at home which is a Roy Rogers western, and it does have Roy Rogers in its own sort of font. Oh yeah, and I think, and every time you see the name Roy Rogers, it's in this same font. It's yeah. just like a trademark for him. So it's, even it's his a, name was like, yeah, it was a, a, an old version of a franchise marketing kind yeah, of thing, like it, they, Star Wars. Yeah, Keep the, the identity it was like, yeah, this was his identity. Oh, all right, cool. Actually, have you guys ever heard of a, an actor called Tony Franciosa? Yep. No. Nope. Yeah, yeah, he's a TV actor. He's been in a couple of films as well. Curly hair, tall guy, good looking. Oh, if right. it's the same one I'm thinking of. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Yeah. He was, he was a, uh, well, that was who the director originally wanted to play the role of Brick in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Wow. He, okay. yeah, he, he, would, he originally wanted Tony Franciosa and Ava I Gardner. I know he's, who that is now. You know. I know yeah, who that is. Yeah, it's yeah. very, yeah. As soon as you said, I thought, yes, I can picture him. Yeah, well, I yeah. don't know who that is, but he wanted Ava Gardner as Maggie. I think he did a lot okay, of TV Maggie stuff, didn't he? Good. Uh, yeah. She would have been good as Maggie. Yeah. 
Showboat. She was very good in Showboat. And again, there was that whole Southern uh, thing. Oh, that's where she's supposed to be black, isn't it? Yeah, well, she's supposed to be... Is it an octoroon? That's the term, is it? We've got one, one eighth black and you're still classed as black. Yeah, that was changed from the original show. But anyway, <laughs> never, never mind, never mind. It's going to be like the Oscars all over again. <laughs> now we go into a hidden gem of a movie, a film that we say it's a great film, but not that many people know about it. Sean, you have chosen this for us today. Would you like to tell us what your choice is? Yeah, this choice, Um, I, well, me and Westerns, you know, with, with, as I say, constant Westerns, so it's another Western, I'm afraid. But this is one of those Westerns and the reason is a hidden gem because not too many people have seen it. I don't think. Yeah. Um, director's Michael Winner, which is which is quite unusual. But this film is called Lawman. And it's from 1971, mm -hmm. and it's basically um, Burt Lancaster is this marshal, and he there's been this town. There's been a bit of a ruckus in this town, and although it was an accident, an old fella got shot, and he's come in to arrest the the people that caused it take them to trial mm -hmm. the sheriff of the town Robert Ryan another brilliant brilliant actor he's basically under the payroll he's scared he doesn't want you know he's, his his reputation is on one shootout so he's not really he's like oh no you know it's a big big rancher Lee Jacob is the the rancher wow. yeah so there's there's and um, so anyway he goes to arrest him he goes well you'll have to do it and of course it's, you know, they don't want all he wants to do. Bert Lan all Bert Lancaster wants to do is just take him to trial. Yeah. He doesn't want to, you know, he's not. But of course, they don't want to go. Yeah. And there's quite a lot of them. So obviously, there's a few shootouts here and there. But what's interesting about the movie is the character of Bert Lancaster is very grey. So is he good or is he bad? Because he's very, very oh. just. He comes in to do, to he just comes into town to do the job that's all he wants to do yeah and the ending is very the ending is um i won't tell you what the ending is because people are going to see it but it's <laughs> quite an interesting and i wouldn't say ambiguous just like whoa i didn't see okay. that coming at all right. yeah i didn't see uh, all right cool so no, michael winner who mm. directed this michael winner is, he is he's kind of like there is the generally accepted idea about michael winner is that he's a bit of a hack, he's like a joke and all that kind of stuff that he's... And some people you speak to be like, he's a horrible, horrible person. I don't understand how anybody ever gives him money to make a film. And that's something that... So, all right, coming over from... Like, moving up from Nigeria, I sort of like landed in British culture and just start hearing everybody just essentially lambasting this guy, Michael <laughs> Winner, like he's never done anything good in his life. So it comes as like a bit of a surprise that, you know, like, you know, you're saying this is a, a brilliant film, that he directed a film with like legends like Burt Lancaster and Lee J. Cobb and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And from what you say, he's also made a good film. It wasn't just something where they were co collecting a paycheck or anything like that. No, no, it wasn't. It was, um, and as I say, the, the thing is, there wasn't any sympathy with, um, you, I, I don't know, it's just one of those really strange films where you didn't really think anybody was particularly nice, even the townspeople, you know. Yeah, well, um, it's, it's, quite, it's quite harsh. Yeah, it's quite harsh. So... I mean, I think it had an X certificate, an 18 certificate at the time. And this was but like a not, 70s Western. Yeah, they had a different vibe, Western. didn't they? They seemed yeah. to be going... It was... Um, yeah, more gritty of, or... You, I don't know if they... Yeah, it was... Were more I, realistic, I, I think what it was... they certainly had revisionists, weren't they? They were revisionists, yeah. They, it wasn't the the white hat, black hat, good guy, bad yeah. guy. Roy Rogers wouldn't have been very comfortable. Then, well, Roy, Roy Rogers <laughs> would, have, would, would have hated it. But there's one where, I mean, there's... He's, there's 
someone's running away. Yeah. And the marshal just shoots him in the back, you know, and it's like, whoa, you know, you don't normally in in films, in films uh, you, you know, it, a good marshal. Yeah, it doesn't do that. You know, it doesn't do that type of thing. They don't shoot people in the back. Yeah. And so it's like, whoa. Um, but at the end, he sort of, it's more or less said, okay, there's, there's been lots of action. And as I say, to the ending, he's basically saying, okay, that's fine. I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to give up this life. There's a little bit of a woman, a little bit of a romance in it. But of course he can't. So if if we're gonna look at it, because um, when I was trying to think about Michael Winner movie the other uh, like when you uh, when you were speaking about this, and somebody pointed out to me that Death Wish is a Michael Winner movie. Yeah, Death Wish. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the Charles Bronson. I was with thinking, Charles was it White yeah. Buffalo as well? He did the Charles. Bronson. Yeah, White Buffalo. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's okay. That's not. A, not yeah. bad, but but Death Wish is is quite a well known film, isn't yeah, it? It's, really? it's quite a well known film, and I mean, I grew up loving this film in Nigeria, and, and it's one of these films where you watch it, and then you watch it later in life, and you're like, oh my god, I didn't realize it was that violent. Yeah, it's yeah, quite for the time. How I think what it, it was. Yeah. What's and, the intro? So, yeah, so, sorry, go on. Yeah, and I was just going to go about some of the actors in Death Wish, some of the horrible actors. One of them's um. Who's the guy who, who oh, Jeff Gold Goldblum? Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. Goldblum. Yeah, he's in it, and he's one of the he's the one of the little thuggy type people. Yeah, yeah, he's like got a bandana on and curly hair, and he's like, hey, I'm gonna as as is as is Alex Winter. Yeah, who's known he he is you know Bill and Ted. Yeah, Bill and yeah. Ted. He's Bill from Bill and Ted. Yeah, he's also in Death Wish. Was he yeah. one of the? Was he one? Of, he's one of the thugs. Yeah, thugs. Yeah, because there's there's a big thug and the two other ones. And, yeah, but yeah, because so, this is at the beginning when his wife gets attacked. Yeah, his, his wife, wife and daughter, daughter get yeah. attacked. Yeah, yeah. But they're the ones that sort of sneak in and, and cause all the mayhem. I know he was definitely one of them. I'm not sure whether it was the first one or one of the sequels. Right. But um, so, but in, in Death Wish, obviously, it's a very... The outlook on life is a very harsh one. Yeah. It's like the world is hard. Mm. And this is like the only... The, the world is hard. And so you have Charles Bronson, who is a bit of an anti-hero, who goes out there and goes, the world is hard, therefore I'm going to be harder than the yeah, world. and going to take on. this so, to them. So is that kind of like what happens in Lawman? Uh, yeah, I would say so. Probably like the, that whole idea, or the general idea that the world is hard, and the, that's where we're going to approach yeah, this. That's the way we're going to approach it. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say probably, probably. But it's um, uh, it's just one of those, as I say, what what you call like it's it's not black and white. The you know the the characters are not not black and white characters. So uh, it's real life. It's real life, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's yeah. like real life. And you know, it's just. Bert Lancaster, he just wants to do his job, really. You know, he wants to do his job, and you think, no, it's just a mark. But then there's a few, a few. It's, it, I can't really give too much away because if I do, it might spoil the film. But there's some really, really interesting moments, and if you get a chance to see it, I don't know if they have it on TV much. I mean, no, I okay. don't remember. Don't remember it. You really. don't remember it, no. Oh, all right, you but, might have seen it. Yeah, yeah, but Sean, okay. So this is a hidden gem that not many people have seen. Mm. How did you come across it? Okay, well. I came across it a while ago. There was a, a friend of mine. He said, oh, have you ever seen a Burt Lancaster film called Lawman? He goes, you like your westerns? I said, no, I don't think I have. And he said, well, I've got a DVD. I'll lend it you. And I, so I thought, well. And to be honest, I was a little bit sceptical. I thought, oh, yeah, this is going to be, you know, standard western fare. Yeah, yeah. And I was quite surprised how good it was. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think because I, I didn't think it was going to, I thought, looked at the DVD and I watched it a couple of times. Mm. So, yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah, so cool. I'd like I must get the DVD. I did give it him back. I but. do. I find it's a curious thing sometimes how films disappear. Oh yeah, but films you really enjoy and you think, why is no? Why does no one know that film yeah. at all? And I'm conscious of it even now in cinema. I know it's about promotion and about how you, how much money they make. Yeah, the films been. I've thought were cracking films, 
and then within six months they've just gone from memory and you think hmm. yeah don't forget that film because <laughs> I really enjoyed it yeah you know I actually speaking about that obviously now we're in award season and uh, the Oscars are coming up and everything like that and I'm going to be honest with you uh, I know that there's a lot of controversy about the Oscars right now and I do not understand how on earth Tom Hardy was not nominated for, for legend. For legend, yeah, totally agree. I, with I, you. I don't, I don't understand was, it. It's because it's been not mentioned at any of the awards. Yeah, yeah and, and that, that's like one of those films, and that, that's one of those films, and that's one of those performances that I feel is just going to be swept away. Yeah, like yeah. you're talking about. Because I'm thinking, what the? Why is nobody talking about? He this? was so good. In yeah, that. He, he was, was transformative. Two, he, wasn't he was, wasn't he? Yeah, was it was two different, different characters, and you you could say, yeah, it was. You, you knew which they one were was distinct. Which. Yeah, and distinct. they were, and you didn't realize it was. You could have said it was two people playing that. Yeah. Right. Actively, yeah, and, and, and I don't understand how that uh, it is. It has made me really disillusioned with awards. I'm beginning to think awards don't mean anything yeah. because none of the people no, that uh, he hasn't been mentioned in any of the categories in any of the awards. No. And I've, I think I've seen, okay, let's put it this way. I think one of the nominees for um, Best Picture is, or for, you know, for Best Actor is Mike, Matt Damon in The Martian. Yeah. And I'm like, that's okay, but Tom Hardy in Legend. Yeah, you, I enjoyed that, The Martian. How, how does that get a, a nod and Tom think, Hardy doesn't get a nod in the, Yeah, when you look at things like outstanding, because you think you should be outstanding performances that are transformative. Yeah, yeah transformative, think, yeah. That, was good with with Matt Damon, wasn't it? it but was. it wasn't transformative. No, no, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it was an. It Oscar didn't sort of stretch. Him I, I was really shocked when I wise. saw that as a. I was just kind of like, yeah, that's Matt Damon, but yeah, I really enjoyed can, it. But he can do that in his sleep. Yeah. But Tom Hardy, that's, uh, uh, sorry, but yeah, yeah. that's uh, that's that, that's a no, film I'm, that I think yeah. I'm going to champion forever. Yeah, yeah because so you, I, yeah, everybody yeah. needs I, to see I, that performance. But again, it's one of those films that you know that will disappear. On about awards. When you shouldn't so, do. Sorry, Bergen Talk. Now, what's what's the awards that Ricky Gervais... Because I've, I've never really watched any of the Golden Globes. Yeah. And apparently they've been back every year. And he is he's really insulting to... Oh, he does. To, he's totally... And, and I watch these clips on YouTube and they, apparently the ratings go through the roof so they've had him back. But you can actually see all the... They're squirming, aren't all they? All the Some actors the and actresses squirming. thinking... Please don't pick on me. Please don't pick on me. <laughs> and it's like Mel Gibson. He's, 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 there's a point like Ricky Gervais got a point. So there's a Mel Gibson come on. Apparently said a few things about Mel Gibson, and he sort of goes to let Mel Gibson take the stand, and then he goes back and sort of pinches the point point away. To, <laughs> he's like, but it's it's really worth a watch. I would watch him because he's he's so cutting, you know. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I think it's going to be interesting at the Oscars because you've got. Um, You've got Chris Rock hosting it. You've got Chris Rock hosting it, and obviously there's been the whole controversy recently yeah. about a whole bunch of black yeah. film film personalities they're saying they're going to boycott, they? boycott, boycott it. And it, the way the story is being reported, it sounds a, it, quite frankly, it sounds a little bit silly to me. But I think I think it's going to be interesting to see what Chris Rock does with yeah. the whole thing with him being with his black. opening monologue. It might be well, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, welcome. This is going to be the only black face you're going to see. All exactly. Day. I was thinking something along those same lines. <laughs> Well, it's been used. I mean, the Oscars has been used politically a couple of times, and it, it? George it's, it's C. Scott totally refused political. his Oxy, and it's, and yeah. Marlon Brando Marlon had the yeah. His, was, I mean, was, the voting is totally stupid in the Oscars. I mean, yeah. it's, it's uh, I, I'm I think is I think I use the Oscars in a way sometimes to just find okay, what are some good films to watch, and it gives you some good films that you can actually go watch, uh, like, especially this time of year is good for that. But besides that, I mean, the the um the the more I look at it, the more I think. The awards don't really mean much. No. no. In terms of best films, the last few years, I've I've thought, no, that isn't the best film out there. 
Yeah, well, I'm... I think for me, it started with Braveheart. I thought there's no way on this planet that Braveheart was the best film of that year. No. No, I agree. I don't know. I quite <laughs> like Braveheart. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway. It's not an Oscar winner. <laughs> but we've still got other films to talk about. Uh, anyway, oh, okay. Okay. we've got other films to talk about, and that's, uh, we're just going to play uh, the main the- theme from Lawman, which I think is actually quite good, by somebody who was composed by somebody called Jerry Fe- Fielding. Jerry Fielding, yeah. Yeah, try Great composer. Yes. Very 70s. Oh, well, I think it was extremely atmospheric. Yeah, yeah. there's menace in those drums. Yeah. A bit like the Wild Bunch with a little, that little snare drum going. Really good. Okay, now we go into the bit of the show which we have termed the exception to the rule. And that is because our rule is they don't make them like they used to. But we have to admit that every now and then a film comes along and you go, that has just distilled something from those bygone eras. And I shall remember this film forever. So this week I have sort of barged in there and I have chosen a film. Oh, well, it's well, I've chosen a film in memory of the dear, wonderful Alan Rickman. And you may have not have realized it, but at the beginning of the show, I'm sure you missed it, but I'm not sure, Sharon, I'm not sure that you picked it up, that we had a new intro. Yes, we've got a new theme music. We had a new, oh, new theme music. Wow. Did you recognize the theme music? I didn't, know. You did not recognize the theme music. Okay, cool. Was it from this film we're about to talk about? Well, let's see, let's see. We're going to talk about the film Galaxy Quest. Yes. And By Grabthar's Hammer. That's I a good will choice. avenge you. <laughs> and this is what we played. You know, I know that there might be um, legal issues with it, but I'm just thinking about changing the theme tune of the show <laughs> to this. What? be practicing our opening credit poses really for that which character would you be they don't make a longer used to that's a <laughs> <laughs> okay so galaxy quest oh, i'll get onto that question in a second so galaxy quest is the name of a film and it's also the name of a fictional tv show within the film which is essentially a sort of 60 style it's it's pretty much a it's pretty much a homage. It's a it's a homage slash a spoof of Star Star, Star, Trek. Star Trek. Yes, yeah. Captain Kirk Star Trek. Uh, yeah, yeah, the Captain Kirk Star yeah. Trek era. So the whole thing is that the film opens up and you have this whole thing. The show has been over in the '60s, and there's like something like Comic Con, and you have all the yeah. actors coming back, and they're all signing things, and they have these massive things, and you find out that the 
that even though everybody loves this show and people are dressing up like the characters and people are like really, really, really into this show, that um, is, it turns out that the cast hated each other and the guy who was like the Captain Kirk character, who I think is brilliantly cast as oh, Tim Allen. Yeah, he's excellent. Isn't it? Tim Allen just channels this sort of like in, inner, inner douche. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it just this inner douche and it just comes in and you had like, you know, the Sigourney, because uh, I think it's, it's a spoof. It's the, it's a very obvious spoof of the Captain Kirk yes. Star Trek. But at the same time, they they just make fun of the whole thing. Like Alan Rickman's character is a, is pretty much Patrick Stewart. Yes, <laughs> he's this Shakespearean actor yeah, it, yeah. who's suddenly doing science fiction. And I, I you can the hear cynicism, the, the contempt dripping out of his voice yeah. <laughs> with every line he has to deliver. That's the whole thing where he goes like. <sighs> by Grabthar's hammer, hammer. I will avenge you. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, say it again, say it again. And <sighs> <laughs> I, I think it's and it's, it's just brilliant the way they the, the way they sort of spoof the whole thing and they 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 go into the whole idea that you have the Shakespearean actor who studied to be Shakespeare, but he then he ended up in this role and he and all of a sudden this is what he's known for yes and he's fallen on hard times so this is the only this is what he can use to make money so the very thing that he hates is essentially his lifeline and i think it's very much um i know it happened to alec guinness because he, he with star wars with yeah. star wars he ended up he ended up and i i know i knew someone who was trained to be an actress and she trained to be an actress and she somehow had some connections and she got to see Patrick Stewart to go backstage after he'd finished on stage to actually go meet him and they were like yeah yeah he's really great he'll answer any questions he'll give you any uh, any advice you want just don't ask him about Star Trek <laughs> <laughs> so it, so I, I think the Alan Rickman character in this film is very much based on Patrick Stewart and it's it's got uh, the way he just sort of goes through the whole thing and he he hates it but then the the big twist of this film because i think the opening of the film is hilarious in itself but then it turns out that an alien race had somehow got the signal when the show was being shown and thought it was a documentary so they built the entire civilization around this tv show <laughs> So they beam up the Captain Kirk character to to Alan. Yeah, to save the universe. To to save the universe. And he thinks that it's just like, you know, some really, really dedicated fans who have built this set and everything like that. So he goes, okay, fine. And he does this. Then he sets up this, well, inter intergalaxy whatever you call it incident where they have these aliens that want to sort of wipe out these other aliens and that so they have to bring out every oh and the Sigourney Weaver character who, yes, who's she's essentially so funny. she's like a mix of all the women but yeah. mainly Uhura mainly Uhura. Yes. And, and they're like so what's her job she's like yeah my job is just to say whatever the, the computer, computer says yeah. so it's a bit like, so like this is my job I just repeat what the computer says but that's my job so let me do my job <laughs> so the computer goes Photon torpedoes are armed. Photon torpedoes are armed, Captain. Yeah. <laughs> <And> it's just. <laughs> I, I love the fact that the film, the film manages. It manages, I think, through the through the through through the performances and everything. It manages to be both a spoof. It wants to be a spoof, a homage, and also a very good adventure space type yes. film. It, it I just does th- work. I think all the categories. Oh, no, I, I think w- it's such an. Yeah. I, I, th- I think it's such an achievement. I love this film. I think it's great. And there is that whole wish fulfillment thing, isn't it? With the fans at the end, they're like they get in contact with some other fans, like, and, and they say, "It's, it's yeah, all real. It's do? all real." Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I knew it was real. I <laughs> yeah, yeah. knew it was real. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> you think, yeah, that's just wish and fulfillment, say, isn't it? Yeah, You're going to have to save the get, universe. Yeah. Or what do we do about the trans plasma blast or something like that? Oh yeah. Well, what you've got to do? So all their fans are all the fans are telling them what to do. Yeah. Let me just network. We know who. Yeah, we know who can 
couldn't work that one out. <laughs> yeah, how to get and they have like this weird sort of chamber thing in the bottom of the ship with all these things that smash and bang and they have to get through all these. Oh weird... yeah, yeah. All yeah. The, oh yeah, like the the walls. The walls like, there's, a, there's a sequence and... to them. There's yeah. sequence to them. And they have to go. And they said, "Why would you need this in the spaceship?" <laughs> But they know the secret. These fans know the sequence of how to get through these sort of dropping walls and smashing metal things and yeah. things that are likely to chop you and dice you. And then I said, "Why would you need this in a spaceship?" I, I just, I just, I think that there's for me as well. It the film has for me the most realistic re- response that you would have to going into hyperdrive. Because there's the bit where they bring all of them up, and there's a guy, there's a character who is his base essentially on Wesley Crusher yes. from Star Trek's Next Generation. That he was a kid when the show was yeah. on. He's now a, he's now a grown up, but everybody still remembers him as this kid, and he was the one who piloted the thing. <laughs> and so there's a bit where he's piloting, he's sitting down, and he's like, "Oh my god, I don't know what I'm supposed to do." Then they're like, "Engage hyperdrive." Then he just puts it on. And obviously, whenever you see it in Star Wars, it's just like, engage hyperdrive. In Star Trek, it's like make it so, and everyone just sort of stands there looking cool on the. <laughs> and he puts hyperdrive, and he just. Goes, Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> and I was just when I said I was like, that is what you would do <laughs> if you went into hyperdrive. Yeah. I think, it, and I, I love, it, and I think Alan Rickman. I just think, oh yeah, his, that oh, comes man. back to him, doesn't it? He's just great. Isn't it? I, I, I think everybody is great, but I, I just feel like when, when they mentioned that Alan Rickman died, this is actually the film that popped into my head straight away, and this was the film that I went, oh my god. Because it came up later in his in his in his career, he wasn't really doing much film stuff or anything like that. Then he just comes out with this, and you're like, "Where did that come from?" Well, to do, there are small touches again, aren't there? Because where he has to wear this wig, doesn't he? he have this helmet thing because he's got this strange because he's because his character's he's, an alien. He's an alien. Yeah. And as the, the film goes on, it's like you can see his hair poking through it as he's sort of <laughs> as his prosthetics get torn and it gets battered, and yeah, you can see his the makeup's coming <laughs> off and his hair's poking through this stuff, and then he's and these other aliens are convinced that. He's he really is this yeah he, this he, other alien he re- he's essentially the Doctor Spock character yeah <laughs> but uh, no it's uh, but his I, friendship with the the real aliens is is more telling isn't it because oh, it's they, a, it's they very, idolize yeah. him and but yeah. there's the real moments of pathos are in it so you think yeah. actually this isn't just funny or it isn't just a, an affectionate spoof yeah there's real pathos in it where yeah. these sort of sad things happen and you go actually that. It isn't just like him having a romp. He does actually act in it, and yeah. it is, there's real motion in yeah. this film as well. I, I, I just, I just think it's, I think it's a, quite frankly, I think it's a towering accomplishment. I think this, but we're gonna leave the last word to our good, depart, dear departed friend Alan Rickman talking about his role in Galaxy Quest and everything that, uh, that it meant. You'll also hear Sigourney Weaver talking a little bit about Alan Rickman in this. Well, I mean, it's like Tim Allen, Sigourney Weaver, and Alan Rickman together at last. I, I did grow up, as it were, in the, inside the Royal Shakespeare Company and other similar environments. I played Richard III. So I know what he's going through on some level. I was an actor once. Damn it, now look at me. Look at me! I remember when Sigourney and I were sitting at the autograph table at the convention. Excuse me, pardon me. Remember, come By Grabthar's hammer, by the sons of Warvan, I shall avenge you. And I remember saying, this is a bit too close for comfort. <laughs> but there were constant images and moments where you just thought, no, I've lived this. He was sort of the quintessential actor Next. who wanted to do Shakespeare and great things and had sort of fallen on hard times. I thought he really beautifully encapsulated the nobility of the actor's dream and his total disregard for what he had to do 
by Grubhar's hammer, you shall be avenged. Yeah! I think what that's called is good writing, you know? It tells you what to do. You've got this ghastly phrase which kind of makes him die inside every time he has to say it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good lord. <laughs> I'm going to miss the fact that there's no more Alan Rickman screen appearances. I'm going to have to just go back through his back catalogue and watch yeah. everything all over again. Some, yeah. some Hans Gruber. Cool stuff. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, Hans Gruber. First thing I actually ever saw in my was at the Sheriff of Nottingham oh. in, in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He had his romantic moments as well. He was Colonel Brandon in Sense and Sensibility. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, Walked he did. Walked Sunset with Kate Winslet. Yeah, he, he was also um, or in Truly Madly truly Deeply. Truly Madly Deeply, yeah, yeah very he was, moving. He was, yeah, the ghost of Truly Madly Deeply. Um, love Actually. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Sweeney Todd, he sang. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, he's the one who takes, who takes the he's daughter. He's the judge, yeah. Yeah, he's the judge of that, isn't he? Oh, my word. He was, he was, he was very, oh, and Marvin. Oh, the paranoid android. In, in Hitchhiker's Guide yeah. to the Galaxy. He has a brain the size of a planet, and they ask me to open the door. <laughs> so, so good. So good. Very versatile. On that note, we'll say goodbye. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for being here with us. Well, let's go into this new year. We'll look for like another 50 shows. And remember, as always, that they do not make them like they used to. <laughs>